All right, can I say good morning? Good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors for this morning's share. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Adar Aleph, Mrs. Salma Wolf, for dedicating all the Shurman Joshua's this month with immense gratitude for the Rafuos from Hashem and the merit of our Rafuos for all of those in need and the schus of our soldiers and the merit Hashem and the schus of the return of our hostages. The Schwartzbaum family, in memory of Rabbi Aaron Schwartzbaum, Aaron Yosef Ben Meir Zichron Levracha, and the Ziv Levine and Berman families, in memory of Bill Ziv, Zev Shmuel Ben Yisrael Zichron Levracha. And of course, we dedicate all of Vesechas Babakamo, Le'ilu Nishmas, Master Sergeant Elio Michal Harush, Hashem Yikom Damo. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nisham Slav and Aliyah, and the families in the And of course, we also take the opportunity, in the same way that we always memorialize those who we have lost. You must also take the opportunity to say, Hodul Hashem Kitov the incredible news of the rescue, dramatic rescue of two hostages last night in Rafa. We hope that Emir Tashem, Kedush Baruch Hu, should give Siat Deshmaya to our soldiers to be able to bring all of our hostages home. And Emir Tashem, they should all be zuchet, be reunited with their families, Bishalom and Bekarov. We'll say with that, let us, let us begin. So today's daf is Kuf Beis 102, and we are starting Emir Tashem, we are starting at the top of 102. I'm Rav Kano. So let's say, so remember again, we have a lot of, we have a lot of open items going into, going into today's daf. And Mir Hashem, we're hopefully going to get some, uh, some good resolution. Have some, hopefully, if we have the opportunity, a nice ramam, a nice shukhanoruch. And uh, Mir Hashem will, uh, hopefully, if not today, tomorrow, Mir Hashem, we'll close out everything. So remember again, we, we originally were in the topic of the, the way the Gemara phrased it was, which literally means, does die add a quantitative or qualitative, qualitative benefit to wool or not? Now, remember again, the other way that Rashi phrased that was, does a change of appearance represent, is, is the change of appearance something that is halakhically significant or not? Or, or not? Which I will say, which is interesting because essentially what the is asking is, does a change in an item that doesn't in any way enhance usage, is that considered to be a financial improvement or not? That's the fundamental question the was dealing with. We then went off into a tangent about the Shemitah apply, which types of items the Shemitah apply to and what doesn't it to, doesn't apply to. So the one thing the bar came up with is that Shemitah won't apply to wood, to him. Why not? Because the Gemara had a Joshua which explained that in order for something to have Shemitah sanctity, what has to happen? Benefit and destruction have to occur simultaneously, or benefit and consumption have to occur simultaneously. But because when it comes to wood, benefit and destruction or consumption do not apply at the same time, right? The ultimately, again, the destruction comes immediately when it's kindled, but ultimately, again, the benefit really only comes later on when it turns into coals. So therefore, Allah Chalamaisa, Allah Chalamaisa, Eitzim are not subject to to Shviyas. So that's what we're picking up with. Amrav Kahana, we'll say first line. First line 102a. Amrav Kahana, the Eitzim la Saka Tanayi. That will say, now if you remember again, the Gemara then brought up, what about the case of this oily wood? So apparently oily wood, this, I don't know what type of wood it is, but oily wood, well, what can you do with it? You can ignite it and use it as a torch. So isn't that a case, isn't that a case where destruction and benefit are simultaneous? And therefore, halacha lameisa, there should be a din of shmita. Right? There should be the shav kedusha shias. To which the gemara answered, stam itzim lasaka. Generally, wood is used for kindling; it's not used for igniting torches. So now the gemara says, "Arav kahana, the itzim lasaka tanai." This concept, this concept that wood is normally used for kindling, is in and of itself a machlokes tanaim. Look at Rashi. Rashi first of the short lines in Rashi tanaihi. So, so, I'm sorry, so we're going to see that this concept, do we say that normally wood, trees, branches are set aside for kindling, right? Is that, is that ultimately, again, is that, is that a, is that a widely held belief? Or not. So that's the machlokes tanaim. Here we go. So the Gemara says this time we learned in the Brisa in most imperial shvius lola mishra velola velola kvosa 
interesting case. You can't use the fruits of Shias. Most say Mishra means for the soaking of flax. Lekvusa means for laundering purposes. Now, what's the case over here? Look at Rashi. L'socha Mishra. Ein shoren pishtan v'yayin shal shviyas. V'chi ein mechapsin v'gadim da'avi schorah. So we'll say, this is actually quite fascinating. So apparently, one of the ways that you could soak flax is you can go ahead and put flax into wine. Into wine. Also, apparently, wine could be used for laundering. Who knew? Right? Who knew? Wine could be used for laundering. So we'll say, so now watch this. So I have, I have Shemitah wine. I have, that, that's to do with the, with the screw top, right? That's to do with screw top wine. As well say, so, 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 so now I have Shemitah wine. I have Shemitah wine. So now I can't, you can't use Shemitah wine to soak your flax, and you can't use Shemitah wine ultimately for your laundry. That was, and I, why not? Now Rashi says, because use of Shemitah wine for either of these purposes falls under the umbrella of Schorah. That was, say, Schorah literally means what? Business. Now, Rashi over here doesn't literally mean business, but what he means is like this. Shemitah produce, you're allowed to use for consumption purposes. You can't use it pretty much for anything other than consumption, because anything under than consumption essentially falls under the umbrella of commercial. Commercial, right? And you can't use Shemitah produce for anything that, that, that is associated with anything commercial. So therefore, can't use Shemitah wine for the soaking of your... And again, by the way, this is my own flax, right? This is my own laundry. Nevertheless, you cannot use Shemitah wine for these purposes. Okay? Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, Rabbi Yossi says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So you ask, what's going on over here? My time is the Rabbanon. What's the Rabbanon's logic? Right? Remember again. So the Rabbanon say, you cannot use Shemitah grapes or, right? Shemitah wine. We'll call it either for laundering or, or for soap or for flax soaking. What's the logic? I'm the Pasuk says, Liachla v'lo l'mishra. Liachla v'lo l'kvusa. Because the Pasuk says explicitly by Shemitah, I will say, what can you do? What do you want to do with Shemitah produce? What can you do? Eat it. So Shemitah produce is fit for consumption, but it is not fit for any other kind of use. So you can use it to eat, but you can't use it for flax. You can use it to eat, but you can't use it for laundering. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Rabbi Yossi says, Omer Kra, Lochem, the Cholzar Hechem. Rabbi Yossi, on the other hand, will dash in the word, Lochem, the Pasuk says, and most remember again, they're both quoting, this is incredible, they're both quoting from the same Pasuk, V'hayisa Shabbos Ha'aretz Lochem Li'achla. Lochem La'achla. So the Rabbanon say La'achla means you can use Shemitah produce to eat, but you can't use it for laundering and you can't use it for, for flax soaking. And, Ra- and Rabbi Yossi will say, Lachem means you could use it for any of your own uses. Right? Can't use it for commercial purposes, but you could use it for any of your own uses. For example, soaking your flax and laundering your clothing. I have the Rabbanon, Nami Haksiv Lachem. I Rabbanon, it also says Lachem. What, what do you do? With the lachem, so lachem dumya de la achla. So we'll say here it is. So ultimately, the rabbanon will say that ultimately lachem has to be comparable to achla. How so? So we'll say, listen to this. This is incredible. We'll say once again, the rabbanon say, what is unique about consumption? What's unique about consumption? The achla. The uniqueness is that what ultimately benefit and benefit and destruction occur simultaneously, right? When you eat something, I'm benefiting and I'm destroying, so to speak, the item at the same time. So the akhla, the akhla, according to the Rabbanon, becomes the paradigmatic example of how you are permitted to benefit from Shemitah produce. So therefore, the Rabbanon will agree, lachem also means you could benefit from Shemitah produce, even outside of just eating it. As long as what? As long as what? As long as your benefit is exactly like eating. In other words, any benefit you have from Shemitah produce, the benefit and the destruction have to be simultaneous. Incredible. Incredible. So the Gemara says, therefore, based on that, Yatsu Mishra Ukvusa Shana Asar Achabi Uren. So we'll say, therefore, this would come to exclude the case of what? Of using Shemitah wine for soaking your laundry or soaking your flax. Why? Because we'll say, listen to this. Ultimately, when does the destruction of the wine take place? When does the destruction of the wine take place? 
right? Immediately, right? Once you pour the wine into the flax, that's it, it's done, right? Once you pour it into the laundry, it's done. But the benefit, but the benefit only comes sometime later, right? I, I don't know how long it takes, however long it takes to soak flax or to go ahead and do a load of laundry with, uh, with wine, right? At the end of the day, that's the amount of time that it takes to get the benefit. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Five, I, Rabbi Yossi, Nami Haksil, Yachla. I, Rabbi Yossi, ultimately, again, it also says Yachla. So what, what, do you, what does Rabbi Yossi do with that? Rabbi Yossi will say, ultimately, again, that you need it for the following b'raisa. Disanyo, li'achla v'lo lim'lugma. So the Gemara says, so you can use it to eat, but not from a lugma. They both say, what's melugma? So Rashi says, Rashi just gives a, a, a last word over here. We'll say, melugma is, like is like a medicinal ointment. A medicinal ointment, right? Something you're going to use to go ahead and shmir on the, on the body for some type of medicinal purpose. So you can't use it from a lugma. So what's is interesting, right? See here, what is saying is, Shemitah produce could be used for benefit, but cannot be used for medicinal purposes. So, Rabbi Yossi is like this. Rabbi Yossi will say, you could use Shemitah produce to eat, but not for medicinal purposes. I says the Gemara, maybe it means, you could use it to eat, but not for, but not for um, laundering purposes. No, because once the Pasuk says Lachem, Lachem comes to include what? Lachem comes to include laundry. So the Gemara says, Ha, Amar, Hama'ani Makayim Li'achla. I, so what does it mean when it says Li'achla? Li'achla, Velo Limalugma. It means to eat it, but ultimately, again, not to go ahead and use it for this medicinal ointment. So the says, Okay, so let me get this straight. Umara is the Rabbos Hakvusa, Ulohotzias Hamalugma. So we'll say some sorry. So now the Gemara says, I don't understand. Rabbi Yossi, you're including certain things and you're excluding other things, right? So Rabbi Yossi is saying like this, that the Akhla, let's go back. Remember, Rabbi Yossi says in general, Lachem, right? Lachem means you could use Shemitah produce for all types of, of benefit, personal benefit, okay? Then the Akhla, Rabbi Yossi says, comes to exclude using it for like a medicinal ointment, right? But yet, you can use it for laundering and flaxing. I'm just going to make that into a verb, right? For laundering and flaxing. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. How do you know what to include and what to exclude? So how do you know ultimately again that Lachem comes to include laundering and flaxing, but yet excludes the use of truma stuff? I'm sorry, of, of, uh, of, of Shemitah produce for... Medicinal purposes. How do you know to include permission for laundering and to exclude ultimately use for medicinal ointment? Tushmar says very simple. It's very interesting. Rabbi Yossi will say, I include laundry. Why Rabbi Yossi say, why? Everyone needs laundry. Everyone needs laundry, and I will exclude the malugba, the medicinal ointment. Why? Not everybody needs that. We'll say very interesting. So in other words, when it comes to permission to use Shemitah produce, Rabbi Yossi would rather use the lachem to include something which by definition is common to the human dynamic, i.e. laundry, and exclude something that may or may not be common to everyone, i.e. the malugma. Okay, so both say so incredible. So both say so. This just just if we pause here for just a second. So this is our fundamental machlok. So remember again, we'll say how do we get here? How do we get here? The Gemara wanted to say that ultimately again, stam itzim lahasaka. That ultimately again, the concept that actually let's let's finish up first the Gemara. So kiman azlaha desanya. So we'll say whose opinion is reflected in the following brayso? The achla velo lemulugma. Right, that Shemitah produce is permitted for consumption, but not permitted ultimately again for, for medicinal healing. The Achla, below the Ziluf, or we'll say you could use Shemitah produce for consumption, but not Ziluf. We'll say Ziluf, Ziluf is um, literally again sprinkling. Rashi says, or Ziluf, Shemizalfin Yayin Bebayis, 
essentially, ziluf means like people use wine like as like an air freshener, like potpourri, right? You want the house to smell nice, you, you sprinkle wine. So the Gemara says, you, you go, who, whose opinion is it that says, you can use the produce for consumption, but not for medicinal ointment, or the for consumption ultimately again, but not for ziluf sprinkling, liachla, you could use it for consumption, but not for apiktivizin. Most apiktivizin is a type of concoction, Rashi says, lahaki, that would cause a person to vomit. Right? The person needed to induce vomiting, you'd create this concoction. So, Kiman, whose opinion is this? Krabiosi. We'll say all of this reflects the view of Krabiosi. Because we'll say, remember again, now the Rabbanon agree with all of this also. All of this also, right? Rabbanon don't disagree. The Rabbanon just would also add on that what? You also can't use Shemitah produce for, can't use Shemitah produce for, for laundering and flaxing. Okay, so obviously that limited list is going to be reflective of Rabbi Osi and not the Rabbanon. I will say, by the way, just as an aside, we happen to Paskin that Shemitah produce cannot be used for laundering and flaxing. We happen to pass in that way. In addition, we also pass in all these other restrictions as well. You can't use it for uh, anointment. You can't use it to induce vomiting. You can't use it to go ahead and um, and, and ziluf. Ultimately, again, for for sprinkling. So I just want to point out the re- the reason the reason why this whole why was this brought up over here? Because also remember again, let's circle back. Let's circle back. The reason why the gemara wanted to suggest that wood trees are not subject to Shemitah sanctity. Eitzim, it's really wood, not trees. Eitzim, wood, is not subject to Shemitah sanctity. Is why? Because in order to be subject to Shemitah sanctity, what do you need? You need Hana'asan, Ubi'uran, Shabin. That's the principle. That's the principle. I'll say, this is actually one of these really incredible and important like Shas rules that you just keep in your back pocket. In order to be subject to Shemitah sanctity, the item has to be Hana'asan, Ubi'uran, Shabin. Benefit and destruction have to occur simultaneously. If they do not, then by definition, the particular item in question is not subject to Shemitah sanctity. Therefore, would, would assuming that what? I've said this presupposes, Stam Itzim Lahasaka, that general wood is used for what? Is used for what? Kindling purposes, right? Fire purposes. And when do you get true benefit from wood when you, when you burn it? At really, really when it becomes coals, right? Which means it's already after, so to speak, it's been destroyed, right? As soon as you ignite it, it's effectively destroyed. So that's the destruction. But the Hana only comes later. So assuming that you hold Stam Eitzim Lahasaka, so therefore Eitzim wood is really not going to be subject to Shemitah restrictions, because the benefit and the destruction do not occur simultaneously. The Gemara just brought, just brought that down, that this idea, that this idea of Hana Asan Ubi Uran Shavin is a Machlokes Tanoim. Or I should say, Stam Eitzim La'asaka is a Machlokes Tanoim. That's also, again, ultimately, that Rabbanah are going to hold, Rabbanah hold, that Halacha Lamaisa, you can't use Peros Shviyas, right? You cannot use Peros Shviyas. <coughs> you can't use Peros Shviyas in Mishra, in flax water, right? In flaxing and in laundering. Now, what's interesting about that? The benefits and destruction don't occur at the same time. Just interesting to point out, right? In other words, destruction of the wine occurs immediately. Ultimately, again, benefit doesn't occur until sometime later on. So we're just pointing out that this whole thing is in Machlokis time. So we'll say, what do we emerge with from this sugya? So number one, we emerge with the concept that this principle by Shemitah. We also emerge with the idea, all of these things that we mentioned are prohibited when it comes to Shemitah produce. No laundering, no flaxing, no ointments, no sprinkling. Right? Shemitah produce could be used for consumption. That, that's, that's pretty much it. But any of these secondary uses are going to be prohibited. Good. So I'll say let's go back to you. Now, actually, just before we go back there, how do we paskin? Let's, let's just close the circle over here. So how do we paskin with the coloring of the wall? Right? So in other words, how, how did this whole thing start? This whole thing started ultimately again. Do we say that a change in appearance is halachically significant or not. So listen to the way the Rambam deals with this. So Rambam Hilchos Gzela Va'aved, a laws of theft 
Perek Gimel Halacha. What is Halacha Yud? See here it is. Misha Hayolot Semer Vesamanim Shruyim Uba Echav Tzav Asam Vesamanan Shlomi Das Chavero. So Mishalim Lo Dmei Masha Hivsid Betzemer Veinu Mechashiv Lo Shevach Samanim Al Gabi Atzemer. So we'll say now. Listen to this. Essentially, the Gemara says as follows. Five over to Ruben, and Ruben has wool and dye. Wool and dye. And what do I do? I dye his wool. I dye his wool. And now I give him back his dyed wool. His dyed wool. So I'll we'll say now, if you're Ruben, if you're Ruben, what's your claim? What's your claim? You owe me what? Wool and dye. But I, 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 I don't want to dye in the wool. I don't want to die in the wall. I want to die separately. So the Rambam Paskins in this kind of case, that halacha lemaisa, we, we value damages in what did I deprive Ruvain of by dying his wall. In other words, because there is a potential loss that could come from that, there is some type of potential damage, but ultimately the Rambam says, we do not take into account any type of benefit, any type of shavach, that ultimately resulted from the dying of the wool itself. So in other words, what we look at in this particular case is, did I cause damage to Ruvain by dying his wool? If I cause damage, then ultimately again I have to pay the wool plus damage. Right? However, if if I didn't cause any damage, I give it back as is, and we do not take into account essentially the impact of the dye on the wool, which essentially is the Rambam teaching us, now again, this is the unique case where both items belong to the same person, right? Obviously, if both items, you know, belong to two different people, that's a different kind of case. But assuming that Allah said the dying world really went ahead and belonged to the same person, assuming that I did not cause any change in the value of the wall, essentially, what do I do? I give back the wall and Shalom Yisrael. Okay, so since the way the Rambam is saying that halacha lamaisa chazusa lavnosa, change in appearance is not halachically significant. It appears the way the Rambam is passing. Okay, let's go back there. Says the Gemara, Yehuda Omer Ima Shavach. So let's remember again. Let's go back to the Mishnah for just a moment. And it's all the truth is that we're going to have to. I'm giving you the Rambam just to kind of satiate you a little bit. I know you're hungry. You're you're chomping at the bit for a little bit of resolution from yesterday. So that's why I didn't want to leave you in that state of existential, you know, halachic anxiety. So I wanted to give you a little bit just to satisfy you. But, lemaisa, we're not finished yet. There's still more. Because remember, the real machlokas ultimately is Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir in the Mishnah. Right? Remember again, what was that case you were saying? That case was, that case was, ultimately again, um, what was it? Yeah, that was the case of That was the case where ultimately, again, I hire Ruvain to dye my wool. I hire him to dye it red, he dyes it black. Or, or vice versa. What's the halacha? Rabbi Meir, Omer, no sin to make samro. Rabbi Meir says in that case, what's the halacha? What do I pay Ruvain? Or sorry, what does Ruvain pay me? Ruvain pays me ultimately, again, the value of my wool. We'll say, remember again, we've got a lot of stuff going on over here. What does Rabbi Meir hold? What does Rabbi Meir hold? What does Rabbi Meir hold? Shinui Kona. You know, say, gotta have these things, right? Shinui Kona, which means that when you take something and you change it, what effectively happens? Right? You acquire the item. So therefore, again, when I give the wool to Ruvain and Ruvain died, I wanted to dye it black, he dyed it red, he effectively acquires the item. He acquires the dyed wool. So, so it's pretty much, he's like a thief. Now, again, he's not a thief, but halakhically, it's kind of like theft. Why? Because it was essentially he acquires the item and he owes me the value of the item at the time from the time that he got it. So if I look at the Maisa, he owes the value of the wall. Shinoi Kona. Rabbi Huda says, no, that's not the way it works. Rabbi Huda says, Ruben gives me back the wall. So say, now I have dyed wool. Dyed wool. So essentially, what do we look at? We look at there are two potential, there are two, there are two potential values over here. Number one, there's Ruben's expenses. And number two, there's appreciation. Because the assumption always is that dyed wool will always be more valuable than undyed wool. Now, granted, he dyed it the wrong color, right? I wanted it black, he dyed it red. So according to Yehuda, what do we look at? We look at either, we have two values. Ruvain's expenses, the dyer's expenses, or the appreciation. And Yehuda says, I, the owner of the wool, am obligated to pay the lesser of those two amounts. Right? The lesser of appreciation 
or expenses. Okay, so now let's get into that. Here we go. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda Omer, Ima Shavach, so Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, Achorid Rabbi Abba, Kamed Rav Kuna. Well, let's listen to this for a second. So Rabbi Yosef was sitting behind Rabbi Abba, in front of Rav Huna. Yosef Rav Huna, the Ka'amar. And Rav Huna was sitting there and he said, it's Hazva Ka'amar, Halacha Krabi Yishua Ben Karcha, Halacha Krabi Yehuda. And he said, the Halacha follows Rabbi Yishua Ben Karcha, and the Halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda. Okay. Ahadrinu Rav Yosef La'apeh. So ultimately, again, Rav Yosef turned away. So you have Rav Huna saying, and Rav Yosef turns to Rabbi say, now that turning away, that's a shtach, right? That's a shtach, right? So that's, that's turning away in displeasure. In displeasure. So the Gemara says, Amar, Bishlam Rabbi Yosho ben Karcha, it's Tirich. So I understand why Rav Huna has to say that Ta'alacha follows Rabbi Yosho ben Karcha. Why? Sagadai Tchamino, one would have thought we have no idea what Rabbi Shulman Karacha said. Right? So we'll have to see. But I would maybe there's a need to say it. Why? Because because when you have Machokistina individual and Rabbim and the group, But in this case over here, Okay. So the says, by the way, Rabbi Shulman Karacha Mahi, just I don't mean to interrupt over here. Right? What did Rabbi Shulman Karacha say? Right, what did he say? Bosa, here we go. This is very interesting. The Sanya, it's fascinating halacha. Malva bishtar in Ephraimahen, Malva al pen Ephraimahen. So, what's okay? A little bit of background. Mesechas avodazara. You see Rashi, Malva bishtar in Ephraimahen, Rashi, Lifnei idehen, Mipnesha singhahilova, Azulamodala akubyam chagam. So, what's the listen to this? This is incredible. This is the Yomar Mesechas avodazara that says, Within three days of a Gentile yomtiv, ultimately, again, you should not collect the debt from a Gentile, right? What's the logic of saying? Because if I, if I collect the debt from the Gentile, going right before his yomtiv, what's going to happen? He's going to go to his house of Avodah Zorah, and what is he going to do? He's going to give Shavach Vahodah to his Avodah Zorah. Why are saying? Because there is such a good feeling that comes when you repay your debts. It's a good thing to come and you pay your debts. And he's going to, so he's going to channel that good feeling, ultimately, and therefore, to a certain degree, you are facilitating heightened connection between an Akum and his Avodazara. And I will say, a Yid can't have that level of involvement even within his Avodazara. So therefore, I will say, therefore, the Aloha is, I'm sorry, So Rabbi qualifies this halacha. By the way, it's such a fascinating halacha in general, which ultimately, if you think about it, by the way, what it tells you is, let's say, and we know this just from our own lives, not the Al-Dazara piece, but the payment of debts piece. When you pay off a debt, and by the way, love dafka, it's a financial debt. When you come through on something that you are obligated to do, the feeling of accomplishment, right? And the feeling of, the feeling of just often you also feel like a million pounds lighter, right? I had an obligation, you know, let's say so many times in life, so many times in life, there are things we have to do. And for whatever the reason, we just like kick the can down the road, right? We just, we just don't, we just don't want to deal with it. And then we realize that not dealing with stuff, right? I don't want to deal with it because like, it's just so much, it's so difficult. And not dealing with stuff creates more anxiety than dealing with stuff. And then when you deal with it, the feeling of almost like, sometimes we'll say even like a euphoric feeling. A euphoric, say I had this yesterday, I decided like, to, I, have, I have to make a list of like all the things I have to do. I, I don't mean like on like a, like a life level. I just mean like stuff that I have to do. And it literally went on to a second page. And, and, and I, I said to her, this is just like from Monday, Tuesday. And I, 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 I said, you know what? I'm not doing, I'm not doing this. I'm, 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 I'm not doing this. And I said, you know what? No, no, no. <laughs> so that it's so hard to like, to like avoid, to just avoid and not deal with something. As opposed to say, you know what? Bend your shoulder. Bend your shoulder. It didn't include the Super Bowl, by the way. I just want to point out. Right? I just want to say, so... so Right? So I'll say, just, right, just, okay, different. I, I actually was very good. I didn't say anything yesterday. Did I say anything yesterday? Right? Okay, so I'll say, so, so, uh, uh, okay, I'm not going to write that. I'll say, so, 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 so
you know, this idea that when you bend your shoulder and you do the things you have to do and you stop delaying and you stop procrastinating and you actually accomplish, the feeling almost almost like the spirit, what do you see? It's almost like a spiritually euphoric feeling you get when you accomplish the things that are upon you in life. And I will say again, we're not even talking about over here lofty spiritual things. We're talking about the stuff you need to do, maybe in your job, the stuff you need to do in your volunteer capacities, the stuff you need to do for your family, the stuff you need to do for your, just the stuff you need to do, the obligations that are upon you. And instead of just ignoring it, you actually do it. It's euphoric. It's euphoric. So the Gemara says, you can't collect your debts from an akum before, three days before his Yom Why? Because that state of euphoria he's going to channel into his Avodah Zara. Incredible, incredible. Now, Rabbi Karcha, he qualifies this and he says, when is this true? With the Milba Bishtar, with a, do- with a loan recorded in a document. Why, Rabbi said, because at least if it's recorded in a document, you could collect it anytime, right? You have proof of collection. However, however, Milva However, if it's a verbal loan, if it's a verbal loan, then you could collect it whenever you want, right? Whenever you can. Why, Rabbi said, what's the concern with a verbal loan? What's the concern? Again, the borrower could deny it. So in other words, Rabbi Karka just says, if you have a document, if you have a loan document, okay, so fine, you can collect it anytime. Don't collect it leading up to the umtiv. Verbal, verbal loan, you, you better collect it as soon as you can because there's no other proof to it. So therefore, both says, therefore, that's why I have to say, However, so I say, why do you have to say say, after all, now say, now why is it so obvious that Why? I'll tell you why. It is obvious that Allah is like Rabbi Huda. Why? Because it was like, we have a concept like this. Our Mishnah, there's a concept of Machlokas. Whenever Machlokas, and then ultimately again, you have a Stam Mishnah afterwards. Stam Mishnah means Mishnah without attribution. So when you have a Machlokas, and the Machlokas is followed up by a Stam, and that Stam supports one of the previously aforementioned opinions, then the Halacha goes like that aforementioned opinion. So I will say, so apparently, there is our Mishnah, which has a machlokis, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. And most of them, again, what does Rabbi Yehuda say? Rabbi Yehuda says that I give the wool to Ruvain to dye it black. He dyes it red. He dyes it red. So I will say, what's the obligation? So now Ruvain gives me back red wool. Did I want red wool? Sorry, did I want red wool? No. So do I have to pay? Do I have to pay Ruvain? Yes. What do I have to pay him? The lesser of expenses or appreciation. That's what I have to pay him. So Allah has like Rabbi Yehuda. And I both say, apparently it's obvious that Allah has like Rabbi Yehuda. Why? Because you have Machlokas, our Mishnah, and then a Stam Mishnah which supports Rabbi Yehuda. Where is the Stam? Machlokas, Mabakama. So our Machlokas is here. Both say in our Mishnah, I gave Ruvin the wool to dye red and he dyed it black. Shachut, Tzvah, Adam, or vice versa. Rameer, Omer, no, saying, Dinit, Samro. Rameer says, Rameer says, Ruvain has to give me back the value of my wool. He's like a thief, essentially. Give me back the value of the object. Rabbi Huda says, no, no, no. I, I, the owner of the wool, get back my wool and pay the lesser of expenses or appreciation. So both say, that's our Mishnah. That's our Machlokis, that's our Mishnah. And then there's a Stam Mishnah above Mitzia. What's the Stam Mishnah? The Stam Mishnah, Yodo Alatachtona. Ultimately, and both listen to this, it's incredible. Kalam Mishnah will say, whenever you deviate, Ultimately, again, you have the lower hand. So we'll say, what that means is in a transaction, in a transaction, if you deviate from the terms of the transaction, the deviator, the deviator, yodo ala tahtona. Here, you're about to say, he is at the transactional disadvantage. Similarly, again, we'll say, if you renege on a transaction, ultimately, again, you are at the transactional disadvantage. So we'll say, so therefore, this Stam Mishnah supports the view of Rabbi Huda. Why, Rabbi Say? Why? Because Rabbi Huda says, I gave the wool to Ruvain to dye it black. He dyed it red. So now what's Talacha? Yado ala tahtona. Ruvain is, Ruvain ultimately again is at a disadvantage. Therefore what? I'm only going to give him the lesser of expenses or appreciation. So therefore you have Machlokis in our Mishnah Baba Kama, and then a Stam Mishnah that supports the view of Rabbi Huda in, a, in, in Bab Metziah. And I will say ultimately, what's the halacha? Machlokes vi'achar kach stam halacha kistam. 
So therefore, again, I'm say, so therefore, coming full circle, why does Rav Huna have to say that Allah is like Rabbi Huda? It's obvious. It's obvious. So this is interesting. So Ravuna had to say it. Why? Because I will say, you might have thought that maybe there's no order to the Mishnayis. Right? And therefore, again, I will say, maybe this is not a case of Machlokes, the Achrakach, Stam, but rather interesting, maybe it's a case of Stam, the Achrakach, Machlokes. Now, I will say, now the principle of machlokes the achrakach stam, which means you have machlokes, and then you have a stam mishnah, mishnah without attribution, that supports one of the opinions in the machlokes, the halacha follows the supported opinion. That only works if the order is intact. It has to be machlokes the achrakach stam. If it's stam, so exciting, if it's stam the achrakach machlokes, then ultimately, again, that principle doesn't work. So therefore, again, Ravuna has to say the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda, because you might have thought over here that maybe the order is not machok, it's v'yachrakach stam. Incredible. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef would say, yachikol machok, it's v'yachrakach stama, neyma in seidol mishnah, ustam v'yachrakach machok, it's Rabbi Yosef disagrees that, because he says, then otherwise you can say that about any case of machok, it's v'yachrakach stam, that maybe there's no order in the mishnah, and therefore the principle never works. Rabbi Yosef, kilo arminan, in seidol mishnah, v'chad v'mesechta, Rafuna will say, no, no, no. When do we say that there's no order in the Mishnayis? That's only one Masechta. Aval betray Masechta Saminan. So both sides, it's actually interesting. So some say that when looking at a particular Masechta, there's no order in the Mishnayis. But from Masechta to Masechta, there's definitely an order in the Mishnayis. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef will say, Kula Nezikin Echada Masechta. Rav Yosef will say, all of Nezikin, will say all of Seder Nezikin, is considered to be one long Masechta. Therefore, again, the concept of stam vi or I should say machlokis vi stam, perhaps ultimately again does not apply. Okay. Viva, I think the other possibility is mishum diktoni la gabi hilchosa psikta, kol mishani yodu ala tachtona, the chola bozer bo yodu ala tachtona. But the other possibility is Rav Yosef just did not feel that Rav Huna had to say that Allah was like Rav Yehuda. Why not? Because also we have a principle. The principle is if you change from the transaction, from the agreed-upon transactional details, you are put at a disadvantage. I will say that's a principle. That's a principle. Therefore, once you accept that, which everybody does, it is obvious that the halacha follows Rabbi Huda. So I will say, what comes out to be something very interesting, which is, it seems to you, I will say, bottom line is, the halacha follows Rabbi Huda. Namely, if I give my will to Ruvain, and I tell him, dye it black, and it turns out that he dyes it red, what's the halacha? Gives me back the wool, but I will say, what am I obligated for? So remember, we don't pass like we don't pass like Rabbi Meir, right? So Rabbi Meir is off the table. But Rabbi Meir's idea that if you change, if you change, right, you change the circumstances. So essentially, you're like a thief. So because he's like a thief, so Reuven the dyer acquired the wool, and he's just obligated to give me back the value of the wool. We don't pass him that way. Instead, what we pass him is give me back my wool, give me back my wool, and I will say I have to pay something because Reuven performed the service. Reuven performed the service. So what do I have to pay him? Oh, like Rabbi Huda says, the lesser of Reuven's expenses or appreciation. That's what I paid. Then I will say, now why? Ultimately, again, this is really embedded in the concept that we'll see in Baba If you change the agreed upon, right, the agreed upon details of our, of our transaction, then you, the changer, right, the deviant, doesn't sound right, right, but you, the deviant, ultimately, again, you, deviator, good, deviator, no, deviate makes it sound so much interesting, though, right? <laughs> right, you, right, right, you, right, you, the deviator, ultimately, again, are the one who is put at the halachic disadvantage. Incredible. So, we'll say, that's why I passed it over. We're not finished yet. We'll say, I've also mentioned just even al pidar hashkafa. You know that phrase, kalamishana yodo alatachtona. Little the one, the one, the one who changes, the one who changes the details, right? The deviator ultimately is put at disadvantage. We'll say, I think there's also a profound, a profound disorder. So, we'll say, a lot of times in life, we want to affect changes, right? Internal, external changes, right? And, and in our lives. And sometimes we think that when you make the right changes, I make the right changes, right? Changes that are good for my personal kedusha, for, my, for the kedusha of my lifestyle, we kind of often operate with the assumption that if you do the right things in life, everything should fall into place immediately. 
right? And if I'm most in Nefesh to make the changes in my life, then everything should just be fantastic. And a lot of times in life, it doesn't work that way. In the long, in the long game, in the long game, that is absolutely unequivocally true. What it's important to know is that sometimes in life, when we make changes, real good changes, sometimes it's kolamishana, yodo alatahtona. Sometimes the immediate repercussion of making change in life is difficulty and setback. It's even though, again, I'm doing this for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm doing this to advance my own Kiddusha, I'm doing this for all the right reasons. But sometimes, and I both say, that's part of the Nesiras Nefesh. If making change was easy, and if making change in life came with immediate benefit, right, and immediate bracha, then what? Then what? We'd all do it. We'd all do it. The reason why change is so powerful and so impactful is often because it comes with initial setback, and it comes with initial adversity, and it comes with initial difficulty. And I have to make the change knowing that and believing with my full heart that if I make these changes in my life at the end of the day, I will get myself to I know where I need to be. And that's what Chazal is saying. It's not just Kalamashana Yado Alatahtona. When you make changes in life, be ready to suffer a little bit of setback. And be ready to have moments of turbulence. And don't be afraid of it. So it's like so many times in life we don't make the changes we need to make. Why? Because I'm afraid of the turbulence. I'm afraid of the difficulty. I don't want to have to deal with like rocking the boat. So what do we do? We just maintain a system of sustained mediocrity. Because I just want to kind of keep things solid. Because I don't want the turbulence that is associated with change. While it's true that if you make change in life, it comes with a little bit of turbulence, or sometimes a lot of turbulence and some initial difficulty, just know that if you stay with it, it opens the door to dramatic bracha. All right, let's go These are such great cases. We need like three hours each time. Who's up? Who's up for that? Oh yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna take a vote. Hey, Satana, 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 Hanosin Maos Lishluchos. Was he watch this case? I give money to my shaliach, so I am giving money to Ruben. Call Ruben is my shaliach. I say I'm a base. Likach lo chitin, velakach man sorin. I tell Ruben to go buy wheat, and he buys barley. Sorin velakach man chitin, or I send him to buy barley, and he goes and buys wheat. I both say that this is a different kind of case. Look at Rashi. Rashi, in this case over here, why am I telling Ruben to buy wheat? I will say, this is, this is a business transaction. I'm not eating anything over here, right? This is, I'm asking him to buy commodities. We're going we're gonna to go into business. We're doing a, this is a business deal. Right? So I'm telling Ruben, listen, buy wheat. Right? Buy, buy, I don't know, buy it at, a, buy it at a $10 a bushel. And sweets, I don't know if it's a bushel, right? A bushel, and we're going to sell it, you know, for 15, you know, somewhere else. That, that, that's the, and, and again, Ruben, this is going to be a profit-sharing agreement. That's what's happening over here. So Ruben, go buy the wheat, and it turns out that Ruben buys barley, or vice versa. So I was saying, I wasn't going to in a case like this. So what's interesting about this is, the shlichos, the shlichos was made under a certain type of agreement. Ruben deviated from the terms of the shlichos. So Tani Chada, so Tani Chada, one writer says, says, in Pachsu, Pachsu lo, so we'll say one, one opinion says, listen, essentially, whatever gains or benefits belong to Ruvain solely. And as we'll say, the first price seems to say like this, since Ruvain broke with the terms of the agreement, essentially what? We don't have an agreement. We don't have an agreement. And therefore, essentially, Ruvain acquired the item on his own, and whatever happens, right? Appreciation, depreciation, he's got to deal with it on his own. Okay, but Tani Chad, the other opinion says, in Pichsu, Pichsulo, other opinion says, no, no, if it's appreciated, Ruvain, Ruvain deals with all the depreciation. Interesting, but if there's appreciation, appreciation is shared. Okay, so I'll say, very interesting. So, so what, what is this? So Rabbi Yochanan, no kash. Rabbi Yochanan says, it's not a contradiction. Ha Rabbi Meir, ha Rabbi Huda. We'll say, it's our Mishnah. It's our Mishnah. So we'll say, the first price that says, whether it appreciated or depreciated, it all belongs to Ruvain. I'll say, whose opinion is that? Whose opinion is that? That's Rabbi Meir. What does Rabbi Meir hold? What does Rabbi Meir hold? Rabbi Meir holds that if you're entrusted to do something and you deviate, then what's that? Essentially, you're like a Ganeth. 
You're like a Ganav. Now again, I will say, nah, I want to be clear. We're not calling the guy a Ganav, but essentially you're treated like a Ganav. The same way a Ganav steals something, he acquires the object, he's obligated to go ahead and pay back the owner the value of the item at the time that it was stolen. So too, if I hire Ruvain to buy wheat, and instead he goes ahead and he buys barley, okay, so you went rogue, essentially, quote unquote, stole the item, you're obligated to give me back my money, right? But Lamaisa, any appreciation or depreciation on the item, it's yours. In other words, the, the item essentially becomes his. He is just obligated to give me back the money I gave him. Whereas the second opinion of says is Rabbi Huda. And Rabbi Huda doesn't hold Shinoi Kona. And therefore, Rabbi Huda will say, look, now, Bosei, how you put this end up? We're going to say it's Rabbi Huda. And Rabbi Huda will say, therefore, depreciation, Ruben, you got to bear that on your own. Appreciation, we're going to split that in the middle. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, look, Hashar Meir, Har Yehuda. Har Meir, Dama Shinoi Kona. So we just said before, so first of all, so first of all, like this comes along Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi says, whoa, 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 right? Rabbi Elazar, so Rabbi Meir's sheet so far has been espoused only in what kind of case I will say, in an object that I am using for my own personal benefit. However, how do you know about say, you know, maybe Rabbi Meir treats business transactions differently, right? They will say, remember, where have we seen the sheet of Rabbi Meir so far? We've seen Rabbi Meir in cases like, I'm giving you wool to die, right? This is my wool, I'm going to use my wool. We'll say, maybe this case is different. This is a business transaction. We'll say, what is the goal? What is the goal ultimately, again, of a business transaction? Business transaction? What's the goal? But I will say, this in general is an interest. I'm not a businessman, obviously, but this is interesting that, you know, workplaces, workplaces have suddenly become like the hubs of, you know, of, of diversity and equality and the this and the that. I will say, people forgot, like, the point of a business is to make money, right? And that's all it's about, making money. You should take care of the people who help you make money, don't get involved in politics, don't get involved in causes, don't get involved in anything else, right? It's good old capitalism. Make money and make a lot of it. That's the goal. That's the goal. So I will say, this is incredible. So the Gemara suggests over here, I will say, where does it come from? It comes from Rabbi Meir. The Gemara says, the Gemara says something interesting, that maybe Rabbi Meir only holds this idea in a case of where you have an object for your own use. But in a business transaction, where the goal is to make money, Maybe Rabbi Meir doesn't care all that much if Ruben differs from my, from my instructions, as long as what? As long as we're making money, right? We are good to go. We're good to go. So that's the, so in other words, how do you, don't automatically apply the sheet of Rabbi Meir. Ella, I'm Rabbi Lazar. Havaha Rabbi Meir. Ooh, very interesting. Maybe I will say both opinions of Rabbi Meir. And what? Lokasha, kan lachi lekan l'schora. Fascinating. Fascinating. Maybe the two prices ultimately again Rabbi Meir. First price that says ultimately again that Ruben keeps the barley. I told him to get wheat. He, right, he bought barley. He keeps the barley. And the appreciation and depreciation is his. That's when I contracted him to buy me food. So instead of my own personal benefit, that's what Rabbi Meir says. Ultimately, if you deviated, you keep the item. Give me back the original money I gave to you. The second price that says that Ruben has to bear the depreciation, but we share in the appreciation, that's where it's a business transaction. Rabbi Yochai the Gemara says, Machku Aleivu Ma'arava. Wow. So when they said this over, when they said this over in Eretz Yisrael, they laughed about it. They laughed about it. Machku Aleivu Ma'arava. Rabbi Yochanan lived with Rabbi Yehuda in Rabbi Yochanan's interpretation of Rabbi Yehuda. V'chi mi hodil l'bal chitin sheyikne chitin l'bal mos. So the Gemara says like this. So we'll say, so remember, in Rabbi Yochanan's model, Rabbi Yochanan's model was like this. Rabbi Yochanan's model was that in the, Rabbi Yochanan's just that Bryson number one, which said essentially that Ruben keeps all of the, right? Ruben keeps the item and has, well, I should say Ruben refunds the money and deals, he keeps appreciation and depreciation. That was Rabbi Meir. Second Bryson that says that Ruben keeps the depreciation, but they split the appreciation. So they laughed at that. They laughed at that. So the Gemara says, why? Who told the owner of the wheat that he should go ahead and or that he can or that he should convey part of the ownership to the owner of the money? Now, we'll say, now what does that mean? Take a look at Rashi. Quick look. Mio Dio Rashi, the second short line. 
why does Reuven have to share depreciation after all? After all what? After all, Reuven is the one who bought the, who bought the wheat, right? He bought the wheat. So Lamaisa now, when the person sold the wheat, he sold the wheat to Reuven, right? He sold the wheat to Reuven. If he sold the wheat to Reuven, then why do I get any share in the appreciation at all, right? Reuven should really have all of the appreciation himself. Right? At the end of the day, in other words, what I was also asking over here is, in other words, obviously, if you're making him bear all of the depreciation, that means he has some level of almost like exclusive ownership over that object. So then why doesn't his exclusive ownership ultimately devolve upon the appreciation as well? Let him keep the entire appreciation. Who, in other words, we'll say, the only way that would work is if the owner of the wheat had a mind to convey to me some chilek of this. So I'm asking for Shalom Bar Sasperati. If that's the case, you can ask that in any case. In any case where I, let's say, I give Ruben money to go buy wheat. And what? Well, say, he buys wheat. He's the guy who contracted with the wheat salesman. If so, essentially, he's the buyer. He's the buyer. If he's the buyer, then maybe he should get to keep all appreciation in general. In other words, we'll say, what halachically compels him to share that appreciation with me, the owner of the money? So the Gemara says, "Am Rabbi Yavo, shiny chit and the chit and the shlichus and kavit. The chit balabais." And Rabbi says, "It's different. When I contract Ruben to buy wheat and he buys wheat, Rabbi says, what is that? That's shlichus." Rabbi says, "What shlichus? What's the principle of shlichus? Shlucho shal adam kimoso. Your shaliach is an extension of you." Teida, Rabbi says, "I'll show you this. True, Teida says, is interesting case. Echad hamaktish nechasa ve'echad hamarachis asrosis didis." If you decide to consecrate your property, right? Or you decide ultimately again to be, make a erech vow. Erech vow means you pledge your value to the base HaMegidosh. Ein lo b'ksus ishto v'lo b'ksus v'lov v'lo b'tseva sh'etseva l'shma. Shabosai, listen to this. What's not included in your vow? What's not included in your vow? Your wife's clothing, your children's clothing, any clothing that you died ultimately again for them. V'lo b'sandal l'chadashim sh'lach l'shma or not for any new shoes. Any new items that you bought from? I was about to say, if you're makdish, your stuff, that stuff is all right. That that hegdish or that era is only on your stuff. It does not devolve upon your wife's and children's stuff. The amai, why not? So I will say, so I don't understand. Let's say I bought my wife a, a dyed article of clothing. So I will say, so I bought I bought it from the seller. I bought it from the seller. So ultimately, again. If I'm maktish my property, why doesn't that dyed item become hectish as well? After all, who told the seller to be maknit to my wife? If I was to belongs to me, I will say, even talking about a case where I didn't give it to my wife yet, right? What, it belongs to me. So if it belongs to me, why doesn't hectish devolve upon that as well? So I will say, so ultimately, why is it? Because when I buy something for my wife, essentially, what am I doing? I'm acting essentially as her shaliach, and therefore, again, as her shaliach, therefore, the object becomes hers from the time of the purchase, and therefore, never really enters into my ownership. So, to Abosai, the halacha seems to be that when I send the shaliach to go ahead and do something, and he, can, and he complies with my wishes, he is my extension, and therefore, halacha, the object becomes mine from the beginning. Masha'inkin, if he doesn't comply with my wishes, that's when things begin to get a little bit rocky. So stop over for today. We're going to pick up. I'm kind of leaving you off in the middle of this sugya. We'll pick up with it tomorrow. Tremendous staff. Shkoyach. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Let me know. I'm going to meet you over there, okay?